that first line says, Lord, I look to you. And it reminds, there's a passage in the Old Testament. There's this king. He's about to go into this big, uh, he's actually being about to be overtaken by a large army. There's no way he has enough uh, forces to stand up against about what's to happen. And, and, and he says, Lord, look, I look to you. I don't know what to do. Um, so I just want to take a minute um, and, and recognize the fact that Christianity is not really about certainty. And it's not really about triumphalism. It's about hope. Um, it's about that we have a great hope in Jesus that is started but is not yet complete. Um, and we feel the tension of that sometimes because we know that God has done great things in the personal work of Jesus Christ. But we also have a lot of really crappy things that we go through a lot. And we're like, Jesus, I know you're good, but my life is hard. Jesus, I know you're the truth, but my life is confusing. Jesus, I, I, I know that you want the best for me. But sometimes my life just doesn't feel like the best. Um, so here's what I want to do real quick. Uh, I just want to take a small step. And so if you feel that, like if you look and you're like, my life doesn't necessarily feel the best right now. I'm confused. I may be stressed out. I'm tired. There's stuff going on, no matter how major or how minor. Um, I would love to take a second and pray for you. Um, because what Jesus promised is not necessarily that everything will go great all the time, but he did promise no matter how bad it is, he'll be with us. Um, so if you look at your life right now and you're like, man, I kind of identify with that last song because I don't know what to do and I need wisdom and I want to be close because I need Jesus right now. Um, I'm going to ask you to kind of exercise 20 seconds of very uh, insane courage. And if you feel like that's you, I want you to stand up right now. And I'd, and I'd like to take some time and pray for you. So stand up if that's you. Um, so, yeah, I think if we're all honest, we're like, my life just isn't crazy enough to stand up right now, right? Like, it's fine. So here's what I want us to do. If you see someone around you and they're standing up, we're going to pray for them right now. And it's okay to get out of your seat and it's okay to move. So everybody find somebody to pray for right now. If you don't, I will call you by name and make you get up. So find somebody. Alex Gilbert, find somebody to pray for. You thought I was joking, huh? I'll do it. I'm not scared. Um, all right, so here's what I want us to do. I want you to pray for them. We're going to take 20 seconds. Don't ask them what's going on. I want you to pray the best blessing you can pray for them. I want you to pray it like you would want somebody to pray for you. Cool? Because here's the deal is we've all been this person. We've all been like, I wish someone would ask me to stand up for prayer because I just don't know what to do right now. Um, so pray like you would want somebody to pray for you in that moment. Ready? All right. Uh, I'll, everybody just start praying. I'll close this out. Ready? Pray. Yeah, Jesus.
So, Jesus, we just ask that you would give us what you promised, and that is your presence. Um, I pray that for the confused, you would be light and truth. I pray that for the stressed and anxious, you would be peace and grace. I pray for those who are just struck down by the circumstances of life, that you would lift them and draw them close. I pray for all of us that you would be our guide, our friend, and our Savior. So please, Jesus, save us through, save us out of the circumstances that we find ourselves in now. Lord, we don't know what to do, but we look to you. We believe you're good. We need you. Amen. 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 Yeah. So just so you know, so you get where I'm going, that's the most church thing we're going to do today. I'm serious. Like, no, seriously, like, think about it, because like a lot of people think we're going to church today. If the building burned down, we could still have church because church isn't the building. It's us. Right. Church is people. So we could do it, whether it's in a living room or whether it's in a cool room with seats and the most talented, beautiful worship leader that's ever lived. It's true. It's true. For those of you who are new, she's my wife. Sorry to freak you out. Um, I'm Timothy. I work here. Maybe not for much longer. Um, I'm so much funnier now. Before the nine o'clock, I was making jokes. You were just like, it was bad. It was bad. No. So uh, I've been out of town for a couple of weeks. Um, I'm in graduate school at Asbury Theological Seminary. Uh, yeah, woo, to, yeah, to that. Yeah. Um, I, I had to do an on-campus residency portion and I was there for 10 days and was in class roughly 10 to 15 hours a day. Um, I was listening to a stand-up comedian on the way back that I really identified with. Um, he said, you know, he, he, he said it was his birthday and he said, you know, I turned 29 and I was hoping to look older and I don't look any older. I still look like a kid. I just look worse. He said, I didn't get older. I just looked worse. Like I feel, you know, <laughs> he said, he said, I feel like people look at me in the street and they're like, hey, tall child, get some sleep. Stop burning the candle at both ends. Uh, and I kind of felt like that, too, because I, I looked around at all the people that are like a little bit older than me. But I felt like I was like, I'm not that old. I just feel terrible. Um, <laughs> hey, tall child, bearded child, get some sleep. Um, so, yeah, anyway, that's I'm going to cut it off there. Quit trying to be funny. Um, when. <laughs> Yes. Yeah. No, no, it's fine. I'm, I'm self-aware enough to be like, you know what? I better quit while I'm ahead. Um, so uh, we've been in this series of talks called Family Matters. Um, the idea behind it is that God calls us to be family. Um, and that's on purpose. Like family isn't an accident. It's not a euphemism for people who sit in seats in close proximity for almost two hours every week. It, it actually means family. It means a place where we're known, um, where we know people, where we give and receive, where we share wins and losses, struggles, failures, and successes, um, where we have relationships that mirror that of a family um, to build us up, encourage us, strengthen us, and help us to live the life that God has for us. Um, and so it falls to me today, we're, gonna, we're, we're talking about... Um, what responsibilities, what opportunities there are in the family at Vintage. And um, today we're going to talk about how that relates to, to young folks here at Vintage. By young folks, I mean like folks back in the village. So that's like birth to fifth grade. And then my folks, 
which is 6th to 12th grade. Um, yeah, woo to that. Raise your hand if you're between 6th and 12th grade. You my folks. You're my folks. You're my folks. Raise your hand if you're Josh Henson. You're still my folks. <laughs> yeah. Um, so, um, before we get going, I, I, I just want to share a few of my convictions before we start. Because um, I feel like if we don't start off on the right foot, this won't go very well. Um, so, first, I am going to offer an opportunity for you. I'm going to show you how you can get involved in children's ministry and youth ministry and connect and do all that other stuff. Because I believe there are probably a few of you who are called to do that. Um, I do not, however, believe that's all of you. I don't even believe it's most of you. I don't believe that most of us are called to be involved in the structures that we have for children's or youth ministry. No. That one got less applause. Um, but I do believe that we are all called to minister to children and youth. There's a difference there, okay? Um, and, and we're going to talk about that. Um, the second thing I believe is this is not about us doing things better only. I believe that it's about us becoming the right kind of people. And I think if we become the right kind of people, we can become the right kind of church that then does children's and youth ministry really, really well. Um, as, as, also, as we keep going, uh, I'll, I'll, I'll come to that later. We, we can talk about that later. But So those are, those are what I want to get to first. Um, that's kind of the big picture for today. So you kind of already can, okay, I don't have to sign up for anything and commit a year of my life. That's fine. If God tells you to, do it. If not, I don't want you. Um, Y'all don't like that amount of confidence, do you? Uh, let's see. If God t- doesn't tell you to, well, then you listen to the Lord. Does that sit better? <laughs> okay. We, we don't like our youth leader too arrogant. Um, that's an opportunity for laughter. Yeah. So, yeah, here's the other thing. Like, I'm, yeah, like, so I don't believe in passivity. Like, I don't believe in, like, y'all came here to hear me talk because I know a lot more because I don't. Um, I believe that we're participating in something together. So it's okay to laugh. It's okay to talk back to me every now and again. It's fine. We're family. We got. We stood up out of our chairs earlier. It's crazy. At church, we moved. <laughs> Just trying to shake y'all up a little bit. Um, so anyway, uh, I want to share something that really made me rethink kind of what we're doing in, in children's and youth ministry, maybe even at Vintage. Um, It's kind of the backdrop for where we're going. Uh, A few weeks ago, Steve was talking about this, and it was actually the passage before the the scripture he was actually talking about. But I read it on my on my cracked screen of my phone and and it just like stopped me. It froze me. It grabbed a hold of me like it. It really did. It messed me up. Um, And and I'm going to read that because I think that kind of gives us a good frame of reference for what we're going to talk about. So it's Luke 13. It's going to be verses six through nine. Here we go. So Jesus told this story. A man planted a fig tree in his garden and came again and again to see if there was any fruit on it. But he was always disappointed. Finally, he said to his gardener, I've waited three years and there hasn't been a single fig. Cut it down. It's just taking up space in the garden. So we're going to stop right there. Um, 
So Jesus is talking about very specific things here. I think he's also talking about general things here. The specific things he's talking about is he's talking about the nation of Israel and their relationship to God and his ministry specifically among the Israelite people. But I also think he gives us a principle that applies to us at Vintage. And this is why this sort of like really messed with me. So I want us to think about this like our lives are the fig tree. Like Vintage is the fig tree. See, this guy bought the tree because he wanted figs. Not because he wanted to look at a fig tree, not because he wanted leaves, but because he wanted figs, perhaps to make Newtons out of. I don't know. Um, Thanks, Jeff. Um, (laughs) You'll get yours. Um, But this, uh, this fig tree was not doing the thing he wanted it to. So he looked at it and he said, man, it's just taking up space. If it doesn't produce figs, we need to cut it down. So here's what I think. I think Jesus wants us to hear that our lives are like this fig tree. That we have a purpose. That we have, de- that we have a destiny. That we have specific things that he desires our life to produce. But there's also this way... Um, See, because the fig tree looked like a fig tree. It grew, had leaves, just didn't produce fruit. So it had every appearance of a fig tree, just no figs. So I think our lives can have every appearance of a life. We can have friends, we can have family, we can have a great job, we can do good things and be great people. But if it doesn't produce the fruit that Jesus desires, we're just taking up space. There is nothing more terrifying to me than getting to the end of my life and realize that I've just taken up space. Like, could you imagine the terror of of figuring out that your entire life on earth, all you've done is exist? Think about that. He says there's stuff for you. There's unbelievable, awe-inspiring, kingdom-minded, Holy Spirit, Jesus-fueled stuff. That he wants us to produce. It's available to us. But we can also be a fig tree that just looks like a fig tree. And, and just takes up space. And I think that Vintage can be a church that looks like a church. And does awesome, great things. And grows and becomes this awesome thing. But if it doesn't produce the fruit that Jesus desires, we're just taking up space. I would rather I would rather do anything else than just take up space. I would rather do anything else than just play games and stir up dust and congratulate ourselves on how good of the show was. You know what I mean? Like I don't want to do that. No one wants to do that. Steve don't want to, Scott don't want to do that. Randall, nobody wants to. I don't think that's what we want to do. So I think the question is, how can we pursue the fruitful life that Jesus has for us? And I think one way that we can do this, I'm convinced of it, my whole job basically centers around this, is this idea of generational investment. That we look and we say that there are people coming behind us, actually literally in age behind us coming up. And rather than just living for ourselves, we want to live life in such a way that they have a life that we only dreamed of. 
And yes, part of that is material. Part of that is an actual, physical, concrete opportunities for flourishing. But I also mean in like the Jesus kingdom spiritual sense that the highest we ever go will be the floor they start on. And we want to live our lives in such a way that we're not just focused on us, but that we propel people behind us forward. Does that make sense? Do you understand what I'm saying? See, because it's real easy to look and just lament the state of the world. Like, it's so easy to get on Facebook and type a post and be like, well, the world is terrible. And it's really easy to pass that on to our kids. It's really easy to live in such a way that there's this big, bad world with all these big, bad, nasty problems. And we're just going to do our thing. But if we have a proper view of what Jesus desires, we'll say, if it's not me, I know for a fact my kids and the kids at Vintage are going to change it. Like, think about that. Like, think about if you were crazy enough to believe that people here at Vintage could change the world. I believe that. I believe that there are 6th through 12th grade kids who are going to come through Vintage, graduate, go to college, and become people that actually change things. So I don't really complain too much because I think it's a great opportunity for our kids to live the life that God has for them. And if you complain about it, I would venture to say that you have little faith in what God is going to do in the generation behind you. That's kind of heavy, but I think it's true. So what if we start to look at what's going on? What if we start to look at everything around us? What if we start to look at this life that is difficult and complex and tough and say, my kids, the kids that I know at Vintage, the kids in youth group, the kids in village, the kids that I see, that I pass in the foyer, whatever it is, they're going to make a dent in this. They're going to actually do something. And I get to help. I get to help. I think that will help us be fruitful. Um, and, and it's illustrated really well in this passage in Third John. So let's read that real quick. It's Third John, uh, chapter one through four. I barely knew that Third John existed before I started doing this. Did anyone? Uh, no, I won't make you raise your hand and say that you didn't know that Third John existed. Yeah, but it's it's there and it's good. Here's how it goes. It says, Third John, uh, verse one. This is this letter is from John the Elder. I'm writing to Gaius, my dear friend, whom I love in the truth. Dear friend, I hope all is well with you. And that you are as healthy in body as you are strong in spirit. Some of the traveling teachers recently returned and made me very happy by telling me about your faithfulness and that you are living according to the truth. I could have no greater joy than to hear that my children are following the truth. So John's writing Uh, specifically to this guy named Gaius, who he addresses as his child. And we see that he's not his actual biological child, but he's like a spiritual child. John had a special relationship where he intentionally invested, as a father does, into a son, specifically in the things of Jesus. And he says, oh, my greatest joy, the thing that brings me the most joy, the thing that animates the the deepest part of who I am with gratifying happiness is that you are walking in the truth. I think what this shows us is that the joy of vintage can be found in our children walking in the truth. Um, And I don't just mean our biological children. I mean, as we are looking at family matters and we are a spiritual family, that all of our kids 
Every kid in the village, every kid in you, all of our kids would walk in the truth. And so he says truth like singular, but what he means is the general way of life that is found in Christ. The truth of who Jesus is and who, how he calls us to live. Following the Jesus-shaped path of life in Christ. That's the truth he's talking about. And there's a lot of stuff in there. Like, if, like we, can, we can agree with that, right? That even though that sounds small, like truth of the gospel, that's like the thing you fall in and never get out of. Like you, this is Jesus, and you get kicked into it, you know? Okay, no one... That was a movie reference. I guess you haven't seen it. Um, okay, I'm uh, going to move on now. That's it. Now you can just laugh at me. That's fine. Um, but I want to look at uh, four truths that, that I think will help us be fruitful. That I think if, if our kids walk in it, that will produce fruit. But more than that. Because I said this isn't about just doing right things. It's about, it's about becoming the right kind of people. So I think if we walk in these four truths, if we become a church that's steeped in these four truths, I think we stand a good chance to be fruitful and not just take up space. So here they are. Uh, one, grace and, the grace and love of God. Two, passionate devotion. Three, a sense of mission. Four, meaningful relationships. I think if we do these four things, if we commit ourselves to these four things, we become fruitful people. We we clear out this path of fruitful life that our kids can grow up into. I think it makes us fruitful. Um, so before I start talking about these, um, I, I think there are two ways that we can do this that, that are really bad. Um, first is if I talk to you like I know it all, because I barely know anything at all. I, I barely know a little bit. And I, one thing I do know that I found out after doing my job for a little while is that the hardest thing you can do with your life is be a parent, right? Like, yeah, yeah, it's super difficult. Like I, I, that's one thing I found. So I'm not coming and saying, Hey, I have this all right. Y'all need to fix your junk. That's not what I'm saying. All I'm trying to do is help a little. That's all I want to do. I have a little bit of shared experience in some of the some of the wins and losses that come from dealing a lot uh, with middle school and high school students. Like, like I, I know what it's like to spend so much time with like one person and say, man, I just want you to do well. I want you to live the life that God has for you. And it's like this is going so good. And then like a day later, that person makes a heartbreaking decision. Chooses a heartbreaking life. I know what that's like. I get it. I know what it's like to, to fight and fight and fight and then have a, a win. And I know how joyful that is. I don't know the depth of that being my child, but I know the depth of that being someone that I've cared about deeply. There, there's a there's this really like gigantic book that was published um, about the spiritual lives of middle school and high school students. And it starts with this line. It says teenagers are amazing people because they embody at once our deepest fears and our greatest hopes. I think that's right. That's right. I, I think we see that. 
Like everything you want is in like another person. And you're like, I just want the best. But you also know that they can choose the worst. So I get it. Like I don't have, I don't have the answer. I hope that these are some answers that are helpful for us. The other thing I don't want to do is, is treat our middle school and high school students like they're bad. Like that they're just giant mistakes waiting to embody themselves in a certain circumstance. Because they're awesome. Like they're great. I love them. Like I think uh, most of us, I think we all know a kid, right? Like we all know someone who's in middle school or high school. Whether it's a, a cousin or a niece or a nephew or a child or a friend or a, whatever it is. And we think they're awesome. I don't want to treat them like they're just like people who we come at with different things to make them into our own will. No, they're human beings created in the image and likeness of God with inherent value, worth, and dignity. So we're not just going to treat them like people that we try to do stuff to and bend to our will. They're awesome. Like, that's one thing that I've realized. Like, if you're a parent and your kid thinks they're awesome, they are. Like, you're, you, they are great. They are awesome. They are wonderful. And I, and I love them. And you love them, too. Vice versa, kids, if you think your parents are lame and uncool and don't understand you, that's true. Because you made them that way. Like the reason your parents are lame or lame in your eyes is because they gave everything they had to take care of you. Please, someone tell me I'm right, right? <laughs> yeah, like, like that's the thing. It took me, I'm like, oh, mom, like, oh, mom, dad, like y'all don't get my life because they're too busy paying for my life. Like I don't, no wonder they don't get it. Um, anyway, I just wanted to say that. All right, so let's talk about these things that are going to help us. Um, so I think the number one thing we need to get um, is the grace and love of Jesus, the grace and love of God, specifically in the person and work of Jesus. Um, I think that this is like the cornerstone of what our students need to build their lives on. Like this, this is it. Because if we get this, we can handle most things. See, we need to understand um, that what we see in the grace and love of God, specifically in the gospel of Jesus Christ, is that we were more hopeless than we could ever fear. That we were worse off than we could ever imagine. That we only ever always deserve rejection and condemnation. But God loved us more than we could ever dream. Our greatest hopes would be dwarfed by his affection for us. We couldn't dream of or conceive or imagine someone with so great a love as the Father has for us. There's a song, and, and the, the whole thing is how, great, how deep the Father's love for us, how vast beyond all measure. He would give us his son for us to make a wretch his treasure. Like, where is treasure? And he gave his son to secure us. And that grounds our life in unshakable, incomprehensible hope. And if we get that, we can handle so much more. We can handle and walk through so much more when we know that our feet are planted firmly on the unshakable ground 
of God's grace and love towards us. I think this is specifically relevant um, for for our younger folks. Um, for one thing, this is so this magazine, they surveyed 20,000 high school and middle school students about and they asked them, what is your greatest fear? And they have three tiers, three grades of fears. And the number one fear on the highest level is this. Number one, failure and rejection are the king and queen of adolescent fears. Nothing in life scares kids more than messing up. I think that if we understood, if our students understood, if we lived and embodied and paved a path that could be walked on in the love and grace of God, that it could be the most revolutionary thing for a student's life. Because they would understand that the, the opinion that matters most, the person who is most important, will never reject them. And they can never mess up to the point where he says, go away. Like, you have to understand, the world is so much different now. Like, there are so many more ways to have somebody tell you, you're not good enough, you're not pretty enough, you don't weigh the right amount, you're not smart enough, you're not athletic enough, you don't make the cut. And it's so much more competitive. Than, than even for me, like, I'm not that far removed from it. It's a completely different world than it was for me. And it's terrifying. And I think that if we got this, it could change everything. Because it would mean that no grade, no doubt, no fear, no mistake, no words, no opinion was stronger than the love and grace of Jesus. And and that would change everything. So I want to ask you this question. Do you know that? As an adult... Do you live in that reality? If not, there's no condemnation for you. But there's a great opportunity to live and model a life in Christ that dwarfs our greatest conceptions of what life could be. John 10.10, Jesus said, I've come that you might have life and life at its highest level. And I think the gateway to that life is understanding the grace and love of God. Second, we need to model, we need to show, we need to live what passionate devotion looks like. I think it's pretty interesting that um, in, in Matthew 22, yes, a guy comes to Jesus and he says, hey, what's the most important thing that, the, that God has ever said? And Jesus says it's this. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, all your mind, all your strength. He did not say it's to do the right thing. He, did, he, he, did, it, he said it's about what you desire. It's about what you commit yourself to. It's about what you love most. See, what you love most shapes the entire direction of your life. That's the thing that you're willing to suffer for, sacrifice for. That's the thing you're willing to give your time, your money, and your talent to. 
That's the thing that if you have it, your life is great. If you lose it, your life comes crashing down. And he says to fix that deep, passionate desire on me. See, my, here's, here's my fear. My fear is that a lot of students come to church and they're like, church is boring. Christian life is boring. And you know what my fear is? That they're right. My fear is they're right. My fear is that they come here or watch us and they don't see something worth living. They say, if it's not good enough for you to give everything you have to, why on earth should I care? Shouldn't I just be ahead of the curve and find something else? And if we don't get it right, they're right. But Jesus has called us to a life that is full, that is shot through with life-transforming passion. That changes the way we see ourselves and everyone around us. That changes the way we look at our work, our lives, the story that our lives is telling. It changes everything and infuses it with passion. Willing to say, I'll do anything. I'll go anywhere. I will be whoever you call me to be. Do whatever you call me to do and go wherever you call me to go. So that I can follow you. So that I can love you. I think if we get that, that's something worth having. Right. Like one of my favorite stories, and I'm going to tell it right now, even though you've heard it, um, because I think it's because I think it because I think it gets what we're talking about. I think it models the life that we want to live. Um, There was a missionary named C.T. Studd lived early 19th century in England, and um, he was in college. He was a cricket player. His family was ridiculously wealthy. And when I say he was a cricket player, I mean, he was good. And when I say cricket, I mean, not like, like, it's like the national sport of England. So it's like the, the best thing going. And when I say, I mean, he's like LeBron James of cricket at this time, which save your comments on LeBron James. Okay. Just, it's an analogy. Um, and so in college, this super wealthy, unbelievable athlete gets radically saved by Jesus says, you know what, I'm going to give my life to him. Ends up marrying this woman named Priscilla Studd, and they decide together that God has called them to go all over the world sharing the good news of Jesus with people who have never heard it. And so before he leaves, he takes about $75,000 because he read in the Bible that if you don't take care of your family, you're worse than an unbeliever. He takes it, gives it to his wife. She ends up actually giving it away and, and moves to Africa. So Priscilla and C.T. end up going to Africa and India and China, sharing the gospel of Jesus with people who have never heard it. And one time they're they're in a service, a church service in India. I'm sorry, China. Just like this. C.T.'s leading the music, come to the end of the service, everybody's standing, singing the song. Um, And he's like, man, when we go to the next song, I really want to, like, make it mean something. And so they come, they're singing the song called Stand Up, Stand Up for Jesus. And he says, oh, I know what I'll do. Since everybody's already standing, I'll get them to stand on their chairs, and that'll really make it meaningful. And so he gets everybody to stand up on their chairs, sing, stand up for, stand, stand up for Jesus. Everybody has a great time. Everybody goes home. Except this one guy comes right down to C.T. Studd, and it's the senior missionary on the field, his boss. And he says, C.T., that was a blatant display of emotional manipulation. And if you ever do it again, you will never lead another service in this organization. He says, okay. 
A little bit later, his wife, Priscilla Studd, is on this huge tram steamer going up a river in China, sitting out on the, ba- on the deck of the boat, writing some letters, getting some sun. Um, this guy comes up, taps her on the shoulder, and she looks, and it's this guy, the senior missionary who just yelled at her husband. And he said, Miss Studd, I need to ask you a question. She said, okay, go ahead. So it seems like you and your husband really enjoy God. She's like, yeah, we, we do. And uh, he says, no, like, it seems like you enjoy worship and you enjoy ministry and you enjoy the Lord. And she says, yeah, we do. She says, he says, don't get me wrong. I'm committed to the Lord, but I can't say that I enjoy him. And she says, when my husband and I first decided to live this kind of life, we were praying together and we asked God to give us joy, to give us his presence, to give us, fill us with his power and passion so that we can live the life he called us to live. And he said, do you think he'd do that for me? She said, first, let me, let me, well, maybe, but let me ask you some questions. He said, okay. She said, would you be anyone God called you to be? And he said, yeah, I think I would. He said, would you go anywhere God asked you to go? She said, yeah, I think I would. She, she said, now, would you do whatever God asked you to do? And he said, yeah, I think I, think I would. She has one more question. She looks at him and says, would you stand on your chair for Jesus? And he said, yes, ma'am, I think I would. She stood up and handed him her chair and said, here, mine's not being used. And she said in her journal that he took the chair and went into the saloon on the boat. She wrote, I don't know whether he went in to pray or to preach, but he came out a different man. See, two people who lived with passion for God transformed someone's life. We're called to live lives that inspire our kids to stand on their chairs for Jesus. My question is, do you live that kind of life? If they were to watch you for a week, would they be inspired? If they were to see you live your life every moment, not just what you say, but what you do, how you spend your time, where you spend your money, Parents, what you put the most emphasis on in their life, would they understand that they need to be passionate about Jesus? Third thing, we need to give them, we need to live for them a sense of mission. And when I say mission, what I mean is that God has been at work since the fall to redeem and restore everything. Since Adam and Eve fell in the garden, God has been actively at work bringing all things to himself and restoring it all. And he's been using his people. And he uses us wherever we are, whatever we're doing, to accomplish his mission. So if you're a stay-at-home mom or a graphic designer or a clinical counselor or you work at a bank or you manage finances, or whatever you do, God is using your work to change lives. The question is, do you realize it? Because if we do, then we realize that we're participating in God's global mission to change, redeem, and restore everything. And there's nothing that's not holy. 
Everything is sacred. Everything your hand finds to do, if you work at it as unto the Lord, it becomes that great opportunity for ministry. And if we live like that, then our students will live like that. They'll realize that Alatoona High School, North Paulding High School, Dominion High School, Harrison High School, King's Academy, McClure, Shelton, wherever they go, that they're not just there to do academics and participate in athletics, that they're there as representative, uh, representatives of a God who is calling everyone to themselves and transforming everything, not just by what we say, but in what we do. My question is, do you live like that? Do you look at your work as something different than your worship? Do you look at the ways you get your paycheck as something different than how you pray? Because they're not different. It's all part of a life dedicated to Christ. So do you live with a sense of mission? Helps us see that our life is deep and meaningful and nothing doesn't matter to God. It all does. The way they do their homework, the way they treat their friend, the way that they look at the kid who no one else sits next to at lunch. Like all of that is ministry. All of that is worship. All of that is him working through us to change everything. Finally, finally we need to live in meaningful relationships. And, and not just a series of individual relationships, but a web of interconnected relationships that God uses to change us. See, Jesus said he would make us fishers of people. He called his disciples who were fishing and he said, hey, drop your nets. I'll make you fishers of people. And see, the way they fished back then wasn't, you know, two guys standing on the bank with the old bait casters and the cooler in between them talking about how big the fish they caught last month was. That's not how they fished. The way they fished was they had this giant net that everyone on a team would grab a piece of and they drag it through the river and then they pull it over to one side and all these people working together would catch way more fish than any one person ever could. And that's what we need to have here. See, we're not just living isolated lives where our families or or, or ourselves just kind of bump in atomically to other people. No, we're meant to be intimately involved. We're meant to have a web of relationships that are supportive, that are challenging, that are encouraging, that hold us accountable, and that transform us. This is so important for our students. It's so important that they have people who they can count on, who they can call on. Look, guys, I'm, look I'm, when I was in high school, I was the least likely person that you would ever meet to be in a church. I was in no way, shape, or form a Christian, and I definitely lived like it. Like if I, like, so if I'm honest, my mom would wake me up and take me to church, and my greatest fear was whether people would smell the alcohol on me. Like that's, that's, what, that's what it was. Uh, I, I was. And I lived like that for a long time. And there were a couple of guys, one in particular, um, who would never let me run away. They were taking me out to lunch. They were calling me. They were hanging out with me. They were inviting me to do stuff. They were coming to stuff I invited them to. They were supportive and challenging. Most importantly, they were just there. One of them's name is Ben Daniel. And I still call Ben Daniel once a month to this day. Like, you don't understand. Like, guys, you don't understand. Like, it's important. 
Like it's important that you just don't come in and leave. It's important that you care. Like really, that could change somebody's life. Like there, 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 there are people sitting here who if you just took some time and got to know them, Jesus in your relationship by his presence would change their life. Do you even have time for that? Are you even thinking about that? Or do we think of this as some way to come in and gorge ourselves at a spiritual feast and leave fat and happy? I'm telling you, there are people that need you. You just take the time and see. A lot of us complain that our lives aren't meaningful. Well, it's because we cram them full of other stuff and don't make time for things that matter. Tell me, if you just took some time, if you became that for somebody, you don't know what would happen. Like, literally, I'm standing here because this dude named Ben Daniel prayed with my mom. Like, literally, the Sunday morning I became a Christian, Ben walked up to my mom and said, hey, let's pray for Timothy. And I called her a week later and told her that I became a Christian. She's like, that's really funny. Cause, she said, when was it? I said, last Sunday. She said, that's really funny because last Sunday Ben walked up to me and said, hey, let's pray for Timothy. And he, said, and he said, Jesus, we pray that Timothy wouldn't desire things that destroy him and that he would love you. And he worked. And if you could be that, you could be that. And it could transform stuff here, guys. And let's not trick ourselves into thinking that we have all the time in the world. I'll never forget the first time I realized I don't have all the time in the world. It was the summer I first started work, working here. And Cody Troxel told me that his family was moving to Japan. I was like, man, did I waste my time? Did I just take up space? Thankfully, Jesus is faithful. But guys, we don't have all the time in the world. We need to be serious and intentional about building relationships that are the mediating factors, that are the things that God can work through to show the, the, the grace and knowledge of Jesus. That he's gracious and loving. That we can be passionate about him. That he's given us valuable things to do. That he is on mission at work in the world. So I want to respond to this. I think we need to respond. I tell our our students all the time. um, you, You don't need to have much, but if you have a yes, you'll be okay. So let's just say yes. So Harvest, if you can come up. Prayer teams, if you can go ahead and come up. I want to respond to this. Um, so here are the ways we have to respond. Uh, we have communion where we can remember what's made all this possible. Um, where we can remember that Jesus body was broken and his blood was spilled so that we can have life at its highest level. But more importantly, to the generation behind us can have a life that we only dreamed was possible. If you've come ready to give, we have baskets right here and a box in between those two doors. You can just drop your gift there. And we'll take care of it. If you filled out a connect card, just leave it on your seats. It'll be fine. Um, If you want prayer for anything, uh, we have prayer teams on either side. But here's what I'm asking you. I'm asking you to respond. If you look and you say, I can't be this for other people because I'm not that myself, then respond. Know his grace and love. Become passionate. Realize that you're part of God's greater mission and that you need to develop relationships that challenge you and encourage you and are supportive. Become that today. Take a step. If you want that for somebody else, grab a person you don't know and pray for somebody. 
but let's do something. Let's not just leave. Let's not just file this away on Sunday, September 6, 2015. Let's not do that. Because what we, if we've learned anything, we've learned that it's not just for you, it's for other people too. So it's fine if you're only responsible for yourself, but don't do that to somebody else. I'm not trying to be guilty. I'm not trying to manipulate. I'm just trying to tell the truth. I work with students who need all of us. They're sm- real quick, let's do this. Uh, if you're a youth leader, come up here real quick. Come up to the front. Come on. Um, can we get a few folks who are parents to come pray for them real quick? Yes, you can stand up and come. It's fine. So these are folks who work every Sunday night with our kids who give of their time freely and joyfully uh, to bless our kids. So just extend your hands towards them real quick. All right, so let's just pray for them real quick. Jesus.